What up? What up? This is Chris. This is Rob. Wait, wait, wait. I'm Chris. <laughs> That's Rob. I hope you enjoy our show. Have a great time. What up, everybody? How you guys doing? Hey, if you don't know Keith Guernsey, you should. Two-time cancer survivor, (laughs) author of four books. Four books. Four, Four. and they're all on Amazon. We'll get you the link. It'll be down there or over there or around or somewhere. Keith, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing real Thanks for having me on. This is great. All right. Hey, thank you for being here. Um, So you are a myeloma survivor, correct? Right. That's the second cancer battle. First, I had prostate cancer. Oh, wow. And then I had, uh, I had to wait six months, but I had successful prostate cancer surgery. Okay. And doctor came in uh, and he had a smile on his face, which for him was very rare. (laughs) And he said, Mr. Guernsey, the surgery was a complete success and you are cancer free. Yes. So I went dancing out of the room and dancing down the hall. And if you've ever seen a clumsy, uncoordinated old guy dance, you know it's a sight to behold. Yes, you. And I got a lot of, a lot of <laughs> comments and strange looks, but I didn't care. That's I was prepared, prepared to live the last third of my life completely healthy with my lovely wife, Susan, at my side. Nice. Um, and, and then three months later, in a routine uh, follow-up, blood draw, uh, it was determined that I had high levels of protein in my blood and was sent across the hall to a hematologist. And she said, you have multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a rare blood cancer for which there is treatment, but no cure at this time. Okay. I'm in my sec- second year of remission and I have implemented my six point plan and I'm happy to report that I'm feeling healthier, healthier at 69 years young than at any time since I stopped playing hockey at 28. Wow. Wow, that's so, phenomenal. I feel great. I feel great. That is yeah. awesome. Now, with your cancer, you're kind of also helping others out. Um, yes. My understanding is, is you're a myeloma coach. Is that correct? I am. I am, yes. Can you and basically. Us- yeah, let us know a little bit about that. How do you help these folks out? Uh, other patients come to me through uh, a website that deals with myeloma, and they're referred to me, and I just, you know, kind of lend an ear, if you will, and I tell them my experiences uh, to give them, you know, a basis for feeling better about themselves, help them kind of over the the uh, mindset hump of, of being depressed and um, anxious and nervous about the process. And it's, it's worked very well. I, I tell them about my process. I tell them, you know, what's led me to be in remission the second year and feeling great. And just, you know, a lot of it's just lending an ear and okay. imparting what, I, what I've done. That's cool. I like so that. So it, yeah, it's, 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 I also, work with the American Cancer Society and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I feel like I have been very, very blessed. Um, 
and it's important for me to give back. I yeah, completely to, understand. I totally get yeah. it. I like it. So when you, you. started writing the books, because you've written four so far, your first yeah. book, was that something that was, um, did it take you a long time to write it? Or was that something that you were able to get through <laughs> and write quickly? Or what was the process? No, no. The, the other ones have come much more quickly because, right. you know, the subject is matter is cancer in the last two. My first book, um, I never intended to become an author, but I started jotting down um, remembrances of games I played and I played in hockey and football, um, games I attended because as the name implies, I am a Boston sports fanatic. Right, just a little and, one, right? <laughs> yeah, and um, we retired in 2013 and moved here to Crestwood. It's an active adult community in, on Lake Lanier in Georgia. And my wife said, I have been hearing about this book for 20 years. We are retired. Finish the darn thing. Ah, so I are her. I like it. We got to give her credit. Uh, yeah, right? oh, she gets all the credit in the world. Absolutely. So I, I finished that um, Confessions of a Beantown Sports Junkie in 2014. Nice. And went up on Amazon and I had a nice five star review within 24 hours. Yes. And I went from there. And it was just, it, it's, a, it's a thrill, you know, writing and seeing your name on Amazon, uh, getting five star reviews and leaving a legacy for my two grandsons, which is- Right, there you go. Which is the point. Um, second book in 2016 was the sequel, uh, Fathers and Sons Sports and Life was more, it talks about sports too, but it's more family oriented. And I talk a lot about my uncommon love and bond with my late father, Gordon, who oh. was um, my everything, my best friend, my father, the whole nine yards and sat in every frozen rink in North America, watching every practice and every game I ever played in. Wow, that's awesome. Um, that is cool. It, that's off to, yeah. you know, we just had Father's Day. Yes. And so I yeah. have to off to another great father. Yep. You know, exactly. that, that was really inspiring to you. And, and the fact that you have a father that was there at everything. That's unbelievable that's to hear. And I, you know, he's been gone 12 years and I still miss him every day. Right. But I, I try to, live you know in his memory in terms of just being a good person a good citizen um in my case being a good husband a good father a good grandfather and just you know kind of live by the golden rule as in doing to others as you would have them doing to you type yeah. of. Mm -hmm. absolutely and that's my story tell, tell me about the first book because you kind of alluded to that was more like community and stuff like that and being you know, um, you know, basically a Beantown sports fan, right? <laughs> yes, Tell exactly. Me, like more, like obviously, were you in the book? Are you talking about your childhood mostly? Is that, or is it going to later of just being like, is it childhood and getting growing up? And, well, well, what were the the kind of give me a little insight into the book? Okay, um, I grew up in Lexington, Mass. You know, historic Lexington, Mass. Don't you to see the White Rides, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And uh, we were twelve miles from Fenway Park. Okay. And so I got caught up in the baseball craze because, you know, baseball isn't a game in Boston. It's a passion and a religion. Mm. And I wanted to play Little League. Even though I was built like a sumo wrestler, I still wanted to try my hand at Little League. And my mother finally relented and signed the permission, stip, permission 
slip. And to this day, I don't know whether she signed it because she really wanted me to give it a try or she was tired of hearing me nag her yeah, right. about playing. Yeah. Um, so the next step was getting a uniform. And I went to the mailbox every day, wait for the uniform. It finally came, nice, shiny, starched white uniform. Um, put on the jersey, fit fine. Put on the pants and they wouldn't fit over my rather large posterior region. And uh, so my mother in her infinite wisdom decided I'm gonna fix these. And she cut a V right in the rear end, but she didn't have any white material to put there. All she had was gray material. So long story short, we had a huge parade, band, fire engines, the whole nine yards from one end of town to the other. We got to the center field ballpark and there were thousands of you know, other teammates and fans and friends and family there. And you had a hundred ball players, 50 on the first baseline, 50 on the third baseline, and 99 of them had the most perfect starched white uniforms. And one had a uniform with a gray, big gray V in his butt. Oh, that's the cat. I ne never hear the end of it. And you know, with my last name Guernsey, as in the breed of cattle in the same name, oh. and being heavy set as I was, never lived it down. But um, wow. and that that was my most embarrassing moment on a baseball. Or you field. could have made it a trend. Yes, exactly. Right, right, right. Uh, it was my most embarrassing moment, but surprisingly not by that much. Yeah. Because the, the very first game that I played in, you know, in Little League, everyone had to play a little bit. So the coach sent me out to right field, praying that no, the ball would never actually be hit to me. First batter hit it way, way over my head. And I started to go back for the ball and a gust of wind came up and my hat blew off. So instead of going after the ball, I went back and got my hat. Oh gosh. And of course, by then the guy had, had long since circled the bases. Yeah. So my only saving grace in these two incidents that YouTube and America's Funniest Home Video did not exist at that time. Oh yes, right, darn. So, so there was... Being the huge Boston fan that you are, and I'm a huge baseball fan, 2004. Unreal. Red Sox bought home the World Series. What, yeah. for you, what what was the feeling? It, it's it's kind of hard to describe. Um, it was a, a tremendous relief and euphoria. And, and it just, it, you know, I look at the, the highlights every now and then and just, it's hard to fathom that they came back from that, you know, a 3-0 deficit against the Yankees. Oh, yeah. You know, World Series itself was almost anticlimactic. <laughs> but beating the Yankees, their most hated rival, being down three games, it, it was just unbelievable. Um, and the, the whole city went absolutely berserk. Yep. Um, for me, it was almost a relief because I was in the bleachers in the 1975 World Series. Oh. And I was in, in the right field grandstand, and I was three outs away from seeing them win the first championship in 67 years. Oh, they had a three to nothing lead in the seventh inning and they brought in some reliever, and I think his name, if I remember correctly, was Jim Burton. And he started giving up home runs and hits, and all of a sudden, 
they blew that three nothing lead and lost the World Series. And it broke my heart being there. I was so sure that I was going to see them win it all, but didn't happen. So 2004 was amazing. And then having them win three more championships in the next, you know, uh, 15 years is just, you know, after not winning in one in 86 years, having them win four in a 17 year period was just not phenomenal. It's huge. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, that guy yep. works miracles. But anyway, so you he also did. said you, you played football, right? I did. I did. And hockey. Yes. So, I mean, Boston's huge for football and hockey as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. So give me a couple of um, uh, rushes with, with some of the best in, in Boston. Like, have you met some of the hockey yeah. players or football players or baseball, yeah. baseball players from the area? Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is perfect. You're my straight man. So I can say this. Um, I had the very rare privilege of playing against Hockey Hall of Famers Bobby Orr and Ray Borg growing up. Wow. Um, I, I was in the eighth grade and, you know, typical eighth grade guy, I, my focus was on girls and sports, not on academics whatsoever. My father said, he knew I wanted to go to hockey camp that summer. And he said, if you pass all your grades, keeping in mind, my sister was a straight A student. I, if you pass all your grades, I will pay and take you to two weeks of hockey camp. Now, he figured he had a safe bet because there was one hockey school, hockey camp, uh, 30 minutes to the north and one 45 minutes to the west. I got a brochure from a camp as far north on the North American continent as, as you can go and still be on dry land. It was called Halliburton Hockey Haven, Crosslung Lake, Donald, Ontario, Canada. And it was the equivalent of driving from Boston to California. So I said, and, and all these NHL stars were going to be there. Red Kelly, uh, Red Kelly, Ron Ellis, uh, Bernie Perron, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was starstruck. I said, I want to go here. And my father, to his undying credit, never, never uttered a word of complaint at all. He drove me all the way up there, 3,000 miles, dropped me off, and came all the way back, and then repeated the process two weeks later at the end of the camp. Wow. So, yeah, I, I was amazed. He was, he was so patient. Now, unfortunately, in my case, patience skipped a generation in the Guernsey family. But, <laughs> um, he, we get on the ice the first day, and like I say, you know, uh, Red Kelly, Ron Ellis, Britt Selby, Bernie Perrant, Ken Hodge, um, and there was this crew cut 18-year-old kid, Lon Crewcut, the summer before he played his first season with the Bruins, and it was Bobby Orr. And I was in totally in awe. And um, we've actually kept in touch over the years. Uh, he wow. sends me autographed copies of his books. I send him autographed copies of my books. Nice. Um, and, and, you know, I met, I had breakfast with Rodney Harrison, the, the Patriots safety. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we, we, when we moved down here, we were in Duluth and we had breakfast together at a, a place called Jay Christopher's. You know, I met a lot of them over these Tommy Heinsohn, yeah. uh, Dave Cowens, and, and many more. Um, and it was a wonderful experience living in that area. 
meeting all those people. Um, as a matter of fact, when we get down here, you remember Jason Ferretech? You're a baseball fan. Oh, yeah. So you know who Jason Ferretech okay. was. Um, his neighbor was my wife's boss, and he gave us his tickets to one game. Unfortunately, it was hot as blazes. We were up in the third tier, oh. and the Red Sox got shot out that day. So it wasn't a good day, but no. you know, it's it's been a, it's been an enormous experience with. Uh, you know, being a Boston sports fan, um, being down here uh, in Georgia, uh, just thought of a great story. I, uh, we had been to a social event over at our clubhouse. And yes, I did have a couple of adult beverages, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't drunk or anything, but I just oh, had boy. a few beers, just enough to make me uh, not pay attention to what I was doing. Jam my foot into a chair a very sharp chair leg and I came in between my toes and started bleeding. And I said to my wife, I said, oh, I'm just gonna slap a bandaid on there. And I went to the bathroom and she said, look down at your foot. Look, look at the puddle of blood on the floor. And she wrapped it up in a towel with duct tape, took me to the hospital and I had thrown on, and I, I didn't realize I'd done this. It was quite by accident. It was very shortly after the Patriots' big comeback against the Falcons, their 25-point comeback. Oh. Um, I throw I throw on my Patriots championship sweatshirt. I throw on my yeah. Patriots championship hat. My wife had called to tell them we were coming. Walked through the door, and the doctor was standing. The ER doctor was standing there with about a dozen nurses and orderlies behind him. And he said, "Gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Gerns, I can't treat you. Totally straight face." totally straight face. And everyone started, he waited a minute and everyone cracked up and he said, because you're a Boston sports fan and what your, what your Patriots did to my Falcons. And uh, it was hysterical. Now, when we got to the end, um, when he stitched me up between the toes, I, I know it was probably my imagination, but I could have sworn I felt that needle go in a little deeper just because, you know? <laughs> Now, whether that's true or not, it might be imagine, might be my imagination, but um, it's How been a real stitches? trip. What's that? How many stitches? Oh, I had four. That works. Which which brought me to two hundred and fifty four total stitches. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm wearing a headset, because yeah. after the first brain surgery, that's I what became talk about next. I became deaf in my left ear. Okay. So. Wow. So explain to our folks out there why you had brain surgery. Because I know you had two of them, but. Yes, I had, um, and, and they never conclusively said, this is why you had this injury. But I'm sure playing two collision sports like hockey and football did not help. No. But I had a benign brain tumor called an acoustic neuroma on my eighth cranial nerve on the left side. Mm. Now I had it removed in 95 in a 10 hour operation. And I came through the operation fine, but it, because it was the cranial nerve, the hearing nerve left me deaf in, in my left ear. Now, I don't know how this happened. Nobody in the medical community could explain it, but my hearing in my right ear got better to compensate. Interesting. So, hmm. yeah, I, I know. And, and nobody had a good answer and I didn't really care so generally speaking, 
you know, unless I tell you, or unless I wear a headset like this, you wouldn't know I was deaf in my left ear. No, exactly. Ear, you know, right ear is compensated, but. Um, so you have that was, life set on your left side, right? Yes, yes. Perfect, okay. Um, that was 95, 10 hour operation, very successful. 96, I met my lovely wife, Susan, on a blind date from a personal ad in the newspaper. Oh, wow. which they had long before match and eHarmony. Uh, uh, I remember um, those. And my first gift to her was, oh, by the way, I need more brain surgery. Uh -huh. Very soon after we met. But um, they had gotten the, the whole, uh, excuse me, they would gotten the whole tumor cell. And uh, they'd gotten the whole tumor, but not the surrounding cells. So I had another 12-hour operation in 97 left me with headaches to beat the band because they were doing a lot of scraping around to get all the tumor cells. And all I could do, I couldn't really sit, stand, walk, talk, crawl, anything. All I could do was sit and eat. And I ate all the wrong things. And I'm only 5'9", but again, I have a stocky frame, but still. Um, I got on the scale and it said 340 pounds. And I said, this is ridiculous. Um, I've just met the girl of my dreams, and we're going to have a very, very short life together unless I get the weight off. And so I started back to the gym, um, lost 50 pounds when we moved down here at first. Then I plateaued out. We moved here. Uh, this is a great gym, you know, 300 yards from our house. And I started going there every week, weekday morning at five o'clock for an hour. And I, I, you know, I cut back on my portions, I stopped snacking, I cut back on my soda intake, and the weight just started to come off slowly but surely. Yes. And um, so I lost 140 pounds intentionally. Then when I was in the hospital with my second cancer, I lost 30 pounds unintentionally. Right. Yeah. Um, so I've gained 10 back. So I'm right where I need to be at 180. So I've lost a total of 160 pounds and feeling great. So it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, definitely. a lot of challenges. Journey. And thank you for sharing your journey with us. Really oh, really my pleasure. It. Yep, we really appreciated this. And yeah. uh, make sure that anybody who's watching down in our description, you've got the links to his Amazon page. You can find his books. Appreciate yeah, that. His books. You'll be able to find out about his uh, myeloma coaching. Yes. Um, so yeah. all the information is going to be there. We want to thank you for coming on. What it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we, we hope to uh, you know hear more from you in the future. Definitely. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Keith, thank Take you. Take care. You're welcome. Take care.